Welcome to the Armani Talk Show, episode 13. Uh, these episodes will come out every single month, first day of the month, to be more specific. If you're listening from YouTube, be sure to hit that subscribe button right on below. Hit that bell notification and never miss another episode again. If you're listening from audio, uh, just sit back, enjoy, relax. And when you are done relaxing, go ahead and leave your boy a review on your audio platform of choice. If you're listening on Twitter, uh, be sure to... Make sure you follow my Twitter account because nowadays your boy has been shadow banned. So uh, I haven't been growing on Twitter like I once was. Uh, this episode, if you're really new to the Armani Talk Show, uh, these episodes are about uh, public speaking, storytelling, emotional resilience, and much more. I deal with soft skills, but I don't just talk about soft skills in a general sort of way. The goal is to get my engineering background and get the black and white aspect of engineering and apply it to the gray field known as soft skills. Because let's keep it real. Unfortunately, the public does not respect soft skills, uh, mainly because of the phrase soft. Growing up, if you're chilling with your boys and anyone from the boys calls you soft, that was a sign of disrespect. There was this one time when one of my close buddies who was uh, skateboarding, uh, he was like, yo, Armani, uh, my dad, he gave me two pairs of boxing gloves uh, for my birthday. My dad never gives me gifts. I really want to use it. Do you want to box with me? And I looked up at Billy. I mean, he was big. I was a little kid back then, uh, but Billy was huge in comparison to all the other kids. So I'm like, bro, I am not trying to fight you right now. And Billy kept pushing for it because you could tell that he wanted his dad's acceptance and his dad was always working. So Billy wasn't feeling accepted. So when he got that gift, he just wanted to use it. And when I was robbing him of using those boxing gloves, he called me soft. And when he called me soft like that, I reacted. I was like, give me those boxing gloves. And I tried to box him. Let's just say I got beat up. I think every guy at one point in their life needs to get beat up. And it could be in the realm of boxing. I don't really consider that getting beat up because there's too many rules. I'm talking about getting beat up in a way where... There were no rules. You weren't expecting it. You didn't wake up in the morning and say, I have a fight today. Instead, some words were exchanged and suddenly you find yourself getting beat up. That happened to me too. When I was a youngster, I guess I was talking a little reckless to what I call the neighborhood nice guy. Uh, this was a black guy that was very big. He was friendly. He came in peace. But for some reason, I just kept making fun of him that day. And initially, the jokes were rolling off his back. But the more that I kept roasting him, and the more that he failed to roast me back, uh, eventually he just snapped. And I recall he just picked me up and just slammed me to the ground and started fighting me. I don't think he punched me too many times, but he was grappling me in a way where I'm like, wait a minute, I'm actually getting beat up right now. And after I got beat up, I didn't know how to react. It's not like I got knocked out or anything. It was like, okay, well, what do I do? I can't fight this guy. So I just started crying. Then my grandpa came. It's like, what's wrong? I said that this guy beat me up. I snitched very quickly. I was around six years old at the time. And my grandpa yelled at this guy. And this guy was just like, I'm not going to you know, react to this old man right? He's an elder. So he just took it. And I felt good that this guy just took it, sort of like how I just had to take it when I got beat up like that. Afterwards, I learned that you never know when a fight can happen. And when someone does get beat up, it's one of the quickest ways in order to learn how to mature. I wouldn't say that that uh, fight really made me mature uh, in a rapid way. But it made me more mature as a six-year-old, and I learned that my words are capable of making someone react. This is one thing that we need to learn, where 
whenever we have a lot of our biological needs set up, that's when words start to have way more of an importance. If we don't have, let's say, basic food, basic shelter, we don't really need to watch our words too much. But whenever we do have our, our basic food, shelter, all of that set up, that's when we do need to watch our words. And this is where I think we often get it wrong in terms of social media. Where with social media, it seems as though people want to choose sides a lot. And a lot of times, choosing sides is the right thing to do. There's most likely, if you have some rationale, uh, there's a clear right side and a wrong side. But other times, you actually need to be empathetic of someone's scenario because we never know what they're going through. One of the phrases I've come to accept a little bit more, I don't agree with it, but I understand its role, is the phrase, trigger words. Where in 2019, I recall I was actively making fun of this phrase. I'm like, man, if you need a trigger warning of any sort, then you are a weakling. You are not an adult. You are a college kid that has been released a little too soon. Now, I was going in on uh, trigger warnings. But nowadays, a couple of years removed from that uh, scenario, I understand why certain folks need trigger warnings. And the thing is, with content, you don't need to give anyone trigger warnings. Like right now, I may say certain things that trigger some folks. It may not have been my intention, but some word that I used reminded them of a traumatic memory from their life. So a lot of the times I will begin a certain talk and I may accidentally offend someone without trying to do so. This is something that, you know, no trigger warnings are needed because I'm not trying to offend anyone. But there are other topics that every now and then it's very sensitive. And it's one of these topics, like let's say you're talking about rape, you're talking about, I wouldn't say religion, but I would say getting disowned for changing your philosophy in religion. Um, tough talks like that, like getting getting beat up by one of your parents growing up. I'm talking like straight up beat up. These phrases, if you're in the business of speaking about this with your brand, you got to understand that this is going to trigger a lot of folks and you don't need to give the trigger warning. But I think we should avoid making fun of those folks that do give the trigger warning because we all have that one topic that we are very emotional about. All the logic in the world it's not going to penetrate that emotional aspect within this topic. For some folks, it's like women's rights. Whenever they're talking about women's rights, they uh, they understand um, there's like the good feminism, then there's the radical feminism. And a lot of them will go from the good feminism, the logical aspect, to the very emotional one. And for a certain period of their life, they're just going to be stuck there right? You could use all the logic in the world, try to say like, no, all men are not trash. And by the way, there's a flip side where there's certain men that just hate women after a bad breakup. And you could use all the logic to penetrate this radical uh, group from the men or from the women, but it's not going to work. Unfortunately, what's going to happen is roughly two to 17 years of their life, they're just going to be very emotional in regards to this field. It could be um, that they're logical about plenty of other aspects of their life, but whenever you hit this topic, it's as though all form of logic shuts down, and then boom, they're just spouting just black and white topics, all nuances lost. You see, every single human being has a certain topic like that. Do not let people fool you. I mean, think about Ben Shapiro, for example. Ben Shapiro, this guy is like the hardcore, like a facts over feelings kind of guy. So whenever you agree with him, you're going to think, yeah, man, this guy is so logical. He doesn't seem emotional about anything. But think about the whole um, conflict that's been happening with Israel and Palestine. You could clearly tell that this is something that hits his narrative mind, not just his logical mind, but hits his narrative mind. And you got to understand that this guy is one of the big dogs within, what is it, the Daily Wire? And he has employees. He's so emotional about this topic that he begins to attack one of his employees publicly. 
it's one thing if you disagree with your employees in a private manner. You're like, hey, come with me, uh, Miss Candace Owens. Let us have a conversation. But you're dissing them publicly. You are no longer Mr. Facts over Feelings. You have feelings. And this is something we need to understand. Whether we're trying to build a business partnership with someone, whether we're trying to get in a relationship with someone, or whether we're trying to understand someone that we disagree with. Whenever we disagree with someone, we're very tempted to be like, you know, there's no point at all in being friends with this person because this is a person that I will not agree anything with. Well, that's not always the case. In the real world, at times we could vehemently disagree with something, but other things we are perfectly aligned on. The thing is, we really need to understand this core idea of every human being is super emotional regarding a certain thing. And to really understand this, whenever you're debating someone, what they really want you to do is grant them their one big villain. You see, anytime you're debating someone, and this is why every now and then I find debating a waste of time, because I'm not in the position to grant you that one big villain. I'll give you uh, an example real quick. There was this one day when um, Larry Elder, he was a guy that was running for president. He went on Breakfast Club. And if you don't know Larry Elder, here's just a quick summary about him. He's a black man that um, is conservative. And a lot of his talking points really bothered the left. And more specifically, a lot of his talking points really bother other black folks. Mainly because Larry Elder talks a lot about accountability and he doesn't talk about systemic racism as much. Whenever you bring up the concept of systemic racism to him, what happens is he's like, nah, man, that's just rubbish. There is no system that is holding you down. So what's happening is that with Larry Elder and The Breakfast Club, uh, there were uh, three other folks within The Breakfast Club. They were just going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, The folks from The Breakfast Club were like, systemic racism exists. You must grant us this one big villain so we could make our other points. But Larry Elder was like, no, I do not grant you this one big villain. I don't believe in systemic racism. And if you don't believe in systemic racism in this debate, then whatever The Breakfast Club is going to say is going to sound childish and it's even going to sound like victimhood. So that's what I'm seeing within this debate. As more time goes on by, something changes. Suddenly, the Breakfast Club folks are like, wait a minute, Larry, how come you're not getting called to the debate stage? And this is when Larry is like, well, you got to understand, Charlemagne, the system, the elite are out to get me. And then he starts going on this long spiel about how the system is rigged for him not to be on the debate stage. And now Larry Elder is like, this is my one big villain. Can you please grant it to me so all my other points will now make sense? And the Breakfast Club are like, oh, so now this system exists. So if you don't grant someone their one big villain, then the debate is somewhat futile because everything that they are saying, you're just going to see it as them whining or them just imagining something. I'll actually give you another example. You may relate to this example more. Folks that get shadow banned, where you may have said something very controversial, you may be getting a lot of the traffic from this platform and taking it to other platforms. That's what I did with Twitter. Like I have a Twitter account at Armani Talks, which you should follow by the way. But I got my Twitter audience and I kept channeling them to my blogs, my YouTube videos, my podcasts, etc. And Twitter didn't like that. Twitter's like, wait a minute, we work so hard to build our audience and you're just taking our audience and taking them somewhere else? You, my friend, you're shadow banned. Now, if myself or one of these controversial accounts are talking to you and we're like, trust me, guys, we're shadow banned and you don't grant me that one big villain, then what's going to happen is you're going to say, no, Armani, you're just imagining things. That's what's going to happen. So unless you're going to even bother to grant someone their one big villain, then debating someone is such a waste of time. It really is. 
So every now and then, if someone is hyper passionate about something and I actually have to deal with this person, let's say this is a person that I'm dating and I notice um, for the most part, we get along, but there's one topic that we disagree with. And let's say they want to debate me. First of all, I'm going to see, do I even need to debate you? Am I going to see you again? Wait, yeah, this person I'm going to see again. And this may be a reoccurring issue. So fine, I will debate you. So once I debate them, now I'm starting to think, okay, they're going to have like this one big enemy that they revolve all their talking points around. For the time being, let me grant them their one big enemy. Allow them to uh, exist with this enemy and allow me to understand what they are talking about. Because if I don't grant them that one big enemy, then what's going to happen is we're not moving forward in the conversation. A big part of maturity is learning to talk to people that you disagree with while you're disagreeing with them. That's hard. We could be like, okay, yeah, this is the guy that we disagreed with two weeks ago, but now we're not over here disagreeing. So yeah, well, let's go ahead and grab a drink. But while you're disagreeing with someone, it's so freaking hard to talk to them because our perception, it views them, uh, views them in such a weird way. We're like, man, I can't believe this person is disagreeing with me right now. This person is my enemy. And immature people just latch onto this idea and they feed it. Where the more that you feed the idea that they are the enemy whenever they disagree with you, physically, they look different. Something about them is just like, ugh, right? I see more and more folks nowadays saying, um, it doesn't matter if they're physically attractive if I don't like their personality at all, they are no longer physically attractive. Where in 2005, no one was really saying that. In 2005, I mean, even if you disagreed with someone and you thought they were hot, they were still hot. But nowadays, there's so many different opinions that you can have regarding different matters where personality opinions can truly affect someone's physical looks. And you will never... Uh, understand how many different things people are opinionated about. I was talking to this one guy and we were talking about hairs, hairstyles recently. And he was just like, bro, I put sea salt in my hair. I put powder in my hair. I have a pre-conditioner and after conditioner, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, what do you have? I was like, bro, I literally just have a comb and uh, some hair wax. That's it. He's, he's like, oh, <gasps> Hair wax? No, you shouldn't use that. And he's going off on this long spiel about how hair wax is bad for you. And I'll grant him that. I mean, nowadays I'll use like clay or pomade or something like that. But I'm just like, bro, I'm not trying to hear this shit. I could tell that you have filled your mind with a lot of talks on hairstyle products. You've consumed lectures and all of that. But that's not me. And the fact that I'm over here disagreeing with him is really irking him. I can tell. For other folks, it could be about the grill that you use. If you tell certain folks, yo, I use the George Foreman grill and they use uh, like those actual charcoal grills, they will judge you, but they won't even stop there. They are going to actively try to change your mind. And I'm like, bro, I am not trying to heat up a bunch of coals whenever I'm trying to get a snack. I just want to use the George Foreman grill. So people are opinionated about different things. Back to the hair. Managing your hair is such a difficult thing to do where if you actually want to take it seriously, where some folks, they just get out the shower and that's it. But if you less, if you want to take it somewhat seriously and uh, you know that you want to take it seriously when you start recording YouTube videos because in public, let's say you're right in front of the mirror, your hair looks amazing. But once you get on the YouTube camera, suddenly you start noticing certain things. You're like, wait a minute, my hair is shaping my head to look lopsided. Wait a minute, why is that strand sticking up? And then you zoom in, you're like, that's not a strand. What is that? Is that a cowlick? And you're just starting to become more aware of these different parts of your hair whenever you start recording videos. So now you take this new information, you go to your barber and you're trying to feed them this new information. Hey, I uh, cut my hair uh, the side like this, but don't go up too high because on camera, you know, my head kind of looks like an egg. I don't want it to look like an egg. 
So the more that you start to become aware of your hair, a lot of these micro details matter. Or sometimes I'm like, man, you know, you know how a lot of these CEOs, they're over here uh, wearing the same clothes all the time. It would be so good to just be bald. You know what I'm saying? Like you never have to think about doing your hair again, especially when you're made aware. When you're made aware of your hair, it's a lot like becoming smart. I made this video a while back. It's called, uh, Does Intelligence Make You Unhappy? And the answer was actually yes. I'll go ahead and link the video right on here if you're watching it from YouTube. And if you're watching it from Twitter or something like that, just type in, Does Intelligence intelligence Make You Unhappy? Armani Talks. Yes, it does make you unhappy because now you're more aware of holes in life and you're more aware of the fact that you're surrounded by idiots. This makes you upset. One of the fixes for this is to laugh more, right? Whenever you're adding in comedy to your intellectual pursuits, the more that you're able to uh, overcome the likelihood of you getting depressed. Knowing too much is not always a good thing, and this happens with your hair. But when you're bald, you don't have to worry about that anymore. You are off the hook. You just get out of the shower and you could focus on the other parts of your wardrobe, but you just don't have to focus on the hair. Isn't that cool? It's only cool if you have a choice. When I was roughly 16 years old, there was a uh, moment when I really wanted to look like Eminem, and I was going out of my way to cut my hair short. And it was sometimes so short Whenever folks would see me, they're like, where did your hair go? I was almost bald. The thing is, I liked to almost be bald when I had the choice. But when you remove the choice, that's when it really bothers people. One example is this gentleman named Bradley Martin. Bradley Martin is this bodybuilder. He's one of the OGs of uh, the YouTube fitness space. And he makes a lot of entertaining content. He's huge, by the way very muscular, very athletic, looks like a borderline bodybuilder. And he has this co-host as a podcast uh, buddy. I believe her name is Sarah Safari. And one day they're over here play fighting. What Sarah does is she knocks Bradley's cap off. Mind you, Bradley is always wearing something on his head. It could be a cap. It could be a do-rag. It is something. But on this one particular day, the cap comes off. And what is underneath that cap is shocking. It's a very pushed back hairline, some patchiness on the head, and it just looks awful, right? The first thing that the audience members say is, whoa, I have never seen him without a cap. And then other folks are saying, now we know why. Then other folks are saying, do you see how he keeps patting his head once it was exposed like that? He's nervous, which he most certainly was. You could tell that he's very insecure about going bald. A lot of men, they struggle with self-esteem issues behind the scenes or even in public whenever they're going bald. Because when you think about it, going bald is a lot like you getting shorter at an early age. If you're, let's say, 28 to 34 and you're going bald, you know how much criticism you're getting from the outside world as if you have a choice? Your parents are like, what's happening to you? Why is your hair disappearing already? Are you eating your tomatoes? Your friends are over here making fun of you like, hey, look at you, man. What happened to your hair? Right? It's almost identical to you being in your 20s and 30s and you went from six foot to five foot six identical, where if you were just gradually getting shorter, everyone's just going to be like, wait a minute, weren't you taller before? What happened, man? Are you eating your tomatoes? And let's say you don't have a choice in the matter, which you don't, by the way, your confidence is going to be shattered, at least momentarily. It's one thing if you want to go bald, but I would actually make the argument that no one, and I repeat, no one, wants to go bald. Even those folks that are rocking it, they have their big beards, they have their muscles, they're like, well, I would go bald if I had the choice. No, they wouldn't. If there was an angel that was like, look, I have this wand that can do anything that you desire, would you like your hair back? They will say yes so freaking quick. 
No one wants to go bald. So whenever you see someone balding, you'll see them do two different responses. One is they accept it. The other response is something radical. They go to Bolivia and they get hair plug surgery. One thing that I've been noticing is that certain men, they will make fun of girls for getting plastic surgery while simultaneously they are getting hair plug surgery. They're modifying themselves. So it's almost the same thing, but in different ways. Now you could say, well, it's less radical. I agree with that. But still, think about it. They are going out of their way to go to a different country to do some sort of surgery to alter the way that they look. This is radical. Why are they doing this radical move? It's because they're insecure. No one wants to go bald. And whenever you see someone going bald, the last thing you want to do is just make fun of them. And that's how a lot of guys communicate. We just make fun of each other whenever we're going through a hard time. Ha ha, he went through a breakup. Ha ha, he's going bald. Ha ha, you just got in a car accident. And we joke initially, but then we're like, yo, seriously, I mean, is this an issue or, or what? If it's an issue, we'll back off. Understand, if someone is going bald, it was not their choice. It is never someone's choice to go bald. And they are momentarily struggling with self-esteem issues. And for you to understand that, just imagine gradually every year, one inch is being lost. And you don't know how long this is going to go up until. You never want to make fun of people for something body-related. Because I would argue that it's very difficult to be confident when your body is not on point. That's why I really respect folks that had some sort of injury and they're still capable of being very confident. Where if you're on a wheelchair, initially it's very hard to be confident because mentally you may be there, but physically speaking, factually speaking, a part of you is no longer there and you need to readjust. So whenever someone is going through certain physical issues, you never want to make fun of them. Because this is when I know karma exists. I know this for a fact. Because there was a period when I was losing hair. This was age 21-ish. I got my first bald spot. My dermatologist didn't know what was going on. I started to get more information. Found out I had alopecia. And one bald spot started to add up. I eventually had three to four. I would wear a cap everywhere. And one day I'm at this social event. And this guy knocks off my cap and I'm in the center stage. So everyone around me can see my ball spots. And I'm just like, it's like I got pantsed, right? I'm just like covering myself. And thankfully, one of the guys was nice where he like picked up my cap and put it back uh, for me. Um, but there was this one guy within the event who finally had his material to roast me. So your boy right here, I was voted the roast master in my fraternity uh, one year. And this guy that was um, trying to get intel on me was trying to become the upcoming Roastmaster. So nonstop, he would keep making fun of my bald spots. He's like, Armani's going to go bald. Armani's going to go bald. And he was just telling everyone about this, just spreading this information. And guess what? 2020, I actually went to his wedding. I mean, we roast each other, but overall, it's all harmless. And guess what? I have hair at this moment but he he's bald not a single strand of hair on his head he has a beard and everything but i know for a fact that it hurt his confidence because one of the main reasons that he would get a lot of girls and a lot of attention uh, in undergrad was because he was tall and more importantly because he had hair long locks that just stuck out. You didn't see a lot of guys having hair like that. And I know for a fact that it hurt his confidence to go bald. There were signs too, because his hairline kept getting pushed back more and more and more. And I think when his hairline was getting pushed back, he didn't want others to notice that. So that's why he just kept attacking me. He's like, well, instead of looking at me, guys, look at Armani. And he kicked me while I was down right? But eventually I found out I had alopecia. I, well, not I had alopecia. It was just a mild form. 
where some folks, when they really have alopecia, they literally go bald. They lose their eyebrows, all their pubic hair, all their facial hair, everything. Thank God I didn't have that. I got look-seek, got a little bit of shots, good to go. This guy was not good to go. So whenever you make fun of someone for a physical reason, something that they can't control, ah, man, that is one of the quickest ways to discover karma because eventually something bad happens to you. Which brings me to the next topic of kicking someone when they're down. Uh, This is something that um, it's not smart to do. Um, I have had very polarized um, opinions in regards to revenge. I believe um, I'm not one of those guys that thinks revenge is always wrong. I think certain situations warrant revenge just so a message is sent. Look, I'm not the guy to mess around with. Um, I hear everything. So a lot of the times I will let it slide. But a lot of the times I want you to sleep with one eye open just so you know that you don't mess with me like that and cause me inconvenience for no reason. Have a good day. This is a very primal way in order to not have your time wasted. Because whenever someone is too nice, they get the time wasted a little, little too much. And if you have big dreams, big goals, you can't be having your time wasted by these little peasants. So every now and then, I do think revenge is fine. I would actually say that revenge is fine whenever the pain, it doesn't only deal with you, it deals with your loved ones. With that being said, in my book, The Level Up Mentality, which is currently available on Amazon, Audible, Gumroad, pretty much all major book distributors, I say that if you're leveling up, it's hard to always get revenge, right? Even if you wanted to, you're just like, man, I can't. I have other projects to work on. So this is a a very safe way in order to take the high road. You're just working on other things, being productive, so you don't have time to kick someone while they're down. And there's those other moments when someone did do you wrong and you have the opportunity to get revenge on them and you have the time today, right? You got your project done a little bit early. They're down. What do you do? Every now and then, it's smart to uh, give them a helping hand. Like, look, I know you did me wrong, but in this situation, I'm going to let bygones be bygones and I'm going to help you out. There's been a few moments when I've had that happen to me. where, you know, someone did me wrong and I went ahead and still helped them out. That's not always the case, though. I still do believe in revenge and I still do believe in holding grudges. I think uh, holding on to a strategic grudge is a good way not to get too complacent. Uh, A lot of folks, they do this gratitude thing a little too much and doing gratitude a little too much makes someone lose hunger. We always want to make sure that We stay hopeful when things are going wrong, and we stay hungry when things are going right. That duality is how we succeed in life. And speaking of duality, when was the last time you had a bad day? With one of my podcast episodes, I actually said that there is no such thing as a bad day. There's only such thing as bad days. Because each of the days intertwine with one another. So whenever you have a bad day, chances are, The next day is going to be pretty bad. The third day may not be as bad. But at this point, you had two bad days in a row. So it's not a bad day. It's bad days. It's like a couple of weeks ago, I I ended up going to one of my favorite fast food places that always hooks me up. It's this place called um, Ho Ho To Go. And for one particular night, I don't know, I just went really late. I ordered a meal, my go-to, and it just gave me a stomach ache. I was like, what the heck? Why is it giving me a stomach ache? And I'm just like, okay, this day is done. This day overall was bad. I am done with my bad day. All for me to wake up at four in the morning, my stomach is just hurting so freaking bad. I'm like, oh man, this is awful. And now the new day started off in pain. So I don't believe in a bad day. I think it always adds up to just two days at least, and now you have bad days. Uh, And someone may be thinking, man, this is a very heinous thing to say. You're telling me I can't have a bad day. Uh, Today was such an awful day, and you're telling me tomorrow's going to be just as bad? Probably. But this uh, this is good news because there's a thing called duality, my friend, 
behind every uh, bad days comes good days. So bad days don't last forever. Eventually, you're going to have a good day. I think the cheat code, though, to dealing with all of this is to view it more as days rather than good days and bad days. And one of the ways to do that is to find the good and the bad and to find the bad and the good, right? So whenever you're having a bad day, your goal is to find at least one good thing about it. You don't need to stack up 10 different things that you're happy about. Just one good thing about it, all right? So that day that I ended up eating uh, that bad Chinese food, I had one good thing. You know what that is? Sunny Delight. When I was a little kid, I used to drink Sunny Delight. And for some reason, as an adult, I just decided to get Sunny D one day. And on this particular day, uh, when my stomach was hurting, I drank the juice. And something about that taste stuck out. And that was the one good thing within my day. Now, other times, I'm having a series of good days, right? I went to take this trip recently. And just every single day within the trip was a blast. But I need to find one bad thing about it. The one bad thing about it was that this particular place had a restaurant that I really wanted to go to. And every single day within the trip, something just kept coming up every single time I was going to go to that restaurant. So I never went to the restaurant. That was the one bad thing. By finding the good and the bad, and the bad and the good, eventually what begins to happen is that the days, they just are just days. It's not good days, bad days, and it really just changes your mind. It's like getting ink and just squeezing one squirt into a glass of water. You'll see that ink permeate throughout the entire water. You just got to do that exercise every now and then. I call it the oxymoron exercise, and that is a great way, in my opinion, to deal with bad days. Bad days are good too because bad days allow us to exercise our emotional resilience, which is a fantastic phrase. I never liked the phrase emotional intelligence because I believe this phrase has been hijacked. When I was starting my Twitter account, for the most part, I don't really have that much controversial topics. The topics that the Armani Talks brand covers are topics that were relevant 5,000 years ago and it will be relevant 5,000 years from now. Things such as psychology, understanding body language, human nature, etc. These are what I call soft skills. So overall, I mean, I didn't get that much controversy unless I use the phrase emotional intelligence. Whenever I used the phrase emotional intelligence, I was getting attacked left and right. I started to build enemies and even my followers that typically agreed with me, they're like, I don't believe in this emotional intelligence thing, Armani. I'm like, why not? You don't think it's possible to understand your inner state, articulate it, regulate it, and control it? They're like, well, the way that you break it down, I mean, it's different than what I've heard. I'm like, what have you heard? And then they start telling me about all this soft stuff like, man, it's like you got to cry more. You got to get in touch with your feelings. I think getting in touch with your feelings is not a bad thing. Uh, I'm not too sure about crying a lot. But yeah, getting in touch with your feelings is not a bad thing. It's actually a very practical skill, especially whenever you're negotiating. But I'm like, no, no, that's not how I view emotional uh, intelligence. Instead, I don't like that phrase that much. I like resilience because... You know what I think of whenever I think of resilience? I think of a slinky. And a slinky, whenever you're like playing with it, you're thinking that things that you will do to it um, will harm it, but it actually adds color to it. Where if I'm getting an action figure and I'm just tossing it down the stairs, that's a very bad thing. But if I get my slinky and I toss it down the stairs, now there's like these new creative movements that are being generated. That's what resilience is about. Whenever life throws something at you that it'll break most people, but you get it, you're starting to do something creative with it. That's why creative folks, they need to be resourceful. They need to move like their back is against the wall. And whenever their back is not against the wall, that's when they suffer. I mean, look at Disney right now. They're not creating anything new. What's happening with them is that they consistently just go to their backlog. They're like, well, we have all these 
former hit movies. How about we just create sequels? Did you know that Walt Disney did not believe in sequels? He said, I did a great enough job with this particular story. Allow me to create another story. He wasn't a big fan of sequels. This man was a very resourceful man. Walt Disney never had that one moment where he could just relax. Every single time he's getting into his groove, suddenly he realizes, ah, oh, man, like I have to pay off my debts. Oh, no, the country's going to war. Oh, no, uh, a lot of my cartoonists are walking out. He one time had his own cartoonists stage a strike on him. And that hurt his perception of his workers. And he, for a while, he thought like the communists were coming to get him. So this man was never just chilling. His back was always against the wall. And whenever he had a hit, he was delivered a bad news as well. Like, whoa, uh, Walt, uh, Disney World was a success. Great job. Oh, by the way, you may have lung cancer. You may die an early death. Anyways, what do you want to eat for dinner? So Walt, he was forced into being resourceful. He always had bad days. Um, he had good days as well. But he would always be one of those guys that's like, what's going to go wrong? Um, one of the, I believe the CEO of Intel, Andy Grove, he was the one who said only the paranoid survive. Within the tech industry, that is absolutely true. Technology that worked five years ago may not work today, let alone technology that worked five weeks ago may be irrelevant today. Therefore, you got to be paranoid. And having bad days makes you paranoid. It's like, man, I can never relax. You know, the older that I get, the more that I understand why certain people are so negative. I don't think anyone should ever be just negative, but I think it's, um, it, I just understand it more. Whether, um, you know, it's um, a guardian, whether it's um, a worker a worker turned manager, whether it's um, a partner. It's like, if you're getting too complacent, uh, what happens is that you start to get naive. Naive folks are one of the worst types of folks to date. Because um, it feels like you're having to articulate common sense to them. I really judge someone based on how well they know intersexual dynamics. Like how well can you understand the opposite sex? Because that deals a lot with maturity. Like us hanging with our own sex, that shows the ability to get along with people. But the the capability to deal with the opposite sex without always offending someone, in my opinion, showcases maturity. So whenever I see one person talking to another person and they're not smart with it, let's say you're a guy and normally to your boys, you're very blunt and to the point. And now you're talking to girls and you're being blunt and to the point. That's not the mature way to look at it. Where from the guy's perspective, you're like, well, he's just telling it like it is. But in terms of a holistic perspective, it's not smart. You want to be able to deliver your message in a way where you're not always creating an enemy. Because here's the thing. Whether you're the nicest person or not, enemies will always be created. Someone is always going to find a certain reason to dislike you. So if people are already going to dislike you for whatever freaking reason, then why are you going to actively go out of your way to create more enemies? So whenever I see these guys that are just being super blunt with someone that's pretty soft, like I could tell by looking at this person, the mannerisms, the way that they're dressing, this is a soft person, and you're being so blunt, you're creating an enemy. And you may not even know that you're creating an enemy, because more folks than ever are passive-aggressive. They feel the same anger as other folks, they just don't vocalize it. They may feel the anger and tell their husband on you. They may uh, be your boss one day. They may um, do something slick where a lot of these passive-aggressive folks, they have burner accounts. So they'll go ahead and leave mean comments on your new Facebook profile pic or even your business. So why am I going to be super direct with a person who deserves indirect communication where you're giving them more analogies, you're a little bit softer with your delivery? So guys often make this mistake when talking to girls where they're too direct and they're completely incapable of adjusting. And girls are 
um, whenever they're communicating with guys, a lot of them are a little too friendly at times, especially when in relationships. And this is like when the guy's like, well, being direct is who I am. Some girls are like, well, being friendly is just who I am. And this is where the naive part comes in. It's like, yes, you are being friendly, sweetheart, but this other person, they're viewing it as flirtatious energy. And then the girl is like, well, I'm not trying to be flirtatious. And that's when the whole understanding of intersexual dynamics must kick in. This is something I don't think even needs to be taught. I think genuinely, us as human beings, we are given compasses in regards to certain topics. And certain topics, the more that you learn about it, the dumber that you get. Whenever I'm on social media and I'm getting like these different tips on how you interact with men and women, I'm like, man, this is actually making me dumber. I already know a lot of these answers. And here's how I test my theory. A lot of these aunties, right? We all have a community where we have these aunties that, you know, just chill, gossip, talk together. These aunties were never taught on how to deal with the opposite sex. But they have this internal compass where they just know. And every now and then they'll be talking to their kids and they'll be lecturing their kids like, hey, they're acting inappropriate. You don't need to do that. And I'm like, how do these aunties know, right? Um, how are they so smart on intersexual dynamics? It's because they were never taught. You see, whenever you're being taught common sense too much, it makes you dumber. So a lot of the times I'll give people just general instructions. And I'm like, let's see that internal compass go to work. Are you in touch with it? No, you're not. Ah, man, you're showing bad judgment. Unless I'm there the judgment is poor. And if the judgment judgment is poor when uh, I'm not there, then what's going to happen? I always have to be around you? I don't always want to be around you. Whether you're a man or woman, you really want to see something. Can this person be alone? If they can't be alone, initially it seems like a good thing. You're like, yes, look how much attention I'm getting. This person really needs me. But eventually it's just like, man, you need me, need me. It's not like you're happy to see me. It's like if you don't see me, then you're going to see someone else because you can't be alone. And this is how a lot of betrayals and sad stuff happen. So I judge a lot of maturity based on intersexual dynamics. How well are you capable of dealing with the opposite sex without a lot of feathers being ruffled? This is the generation where folks like to ruffle feathers because that's what algorithms reward. The more that you ruffle someone's feathers, the more that the algorithm is like, well, there you go. Uh, here are your likes and retweets. But whenever you're talking sensible information, that is not something that is going to get clicks. It's very um, important nowadays not to rely on any of these platforms too much. They're um, getting very risky. Uh, I believe that you got to own your traffic, get a newsletter. Uh, and in addition to that, use these platforms. Use it um, to feed one another. I mean, nowadays I have folks that discover me on Skillshare. Then they find out that I have a Twitter page. From the Twitter page, they have um, they go on my website. From my website, they go on Amazon. It's something that I, I can't even track anymore. Where in 2000 and uh, I would say 16, there was a thing called funnels. And funnels, all digital marketers know what the heck a funnel is. Um, it basically starts off wide and then it gets narrow. So the wide part is, let's say the free content, you could say a lead magnet, hey, get this for free and in exchange, give me your email address. Once you have their email address um, and only a few people are actually going to give you their email address. So it starts from very wide to narrow and then you market to the folks on the um, that give you the email address. It gets more narrow and then you sell them the product. It's something that's very predictable. In today's generation, though, we have a thing called non-linear funnels. And these are funnels that you cannot predict at all. All you do is you create content, you create interconnections among the content, and different people, they're going to enter your universe, and they're going to hop around however they see fit. And that's what the Armani Talks brand wants to do. It wants to create the content universe. Have you ever heard of WebMD before? WebMD changed my life. 
I will say that. Now, WebMD is this one platform that you go on to get any health-related news. So when I just said that WebMD changed my life, you may be thinking, oh, I see, Armani was one day going through some sort of sickness. He went on Google to search his symptoms, and he was presented a WebMD article that changed his perspective. Am I accurate, Armani? I was presented a WebMD article, but that shit was trash. I hate anything that WebMD creates because what they do is they make you scared. Sometimes you'll be coughing, you'll Google, why am I coughing? And they'll write some shit like, you may have cancer, you really want to be worried right now. And it just makes you scared. So I hate their content. WebMD, you have the worst content out there. No disrespect. Now you may be thinking, wait a minute, you hate WebMD's content? Then why the hell did WebMD change your life? Here's why. Despite me hating them, I keep discovering them. Why? I've never seen an advertisement from them. It's because they're geniuses in some ways. They don't need to advertise to you. What they're doing is they're saying, one day you're going to need us. Whether you think you're going to need us or not, you're still going to need us. You're going to discover us some way because you are a human. Humans get sick every now and then. When humans get sick, they feel fear. When they feel fear, they want to get knowledge. When they get knowledge, they come to us, willingly or unwillingly. I was just typing in, why the hell am I coughing? And WebMD is so smart that they're, they've created a whole universe. Anything medical related, they got you. And when you create a universe, your domain authority increases. So these folks, I researched it. I think WebMD is worth 2 to $3.4 billion. Like, from what? Nowadays, they have all these articles. They have sponsorships. I believe they have products. They have these free charts. Anything medical related, WebMD has. They don't say, we, we tweet for a living. We have a YouTube channel. We have a podcast. They're like, we have all of those. Why wouldn't you have all of those? You got to create a universe. And that's what WebMD has done. And when I saw WebMD doing that, I was like, yes, that's what we need. We need more people to create their own universes. And with Armani Talks, I want it to be the universe for communication skills related content. And eventually, there's going to be more than just content. There's going to be video games, board games, uh, potential sponsorships, potential VR products. You see, this is the universe that I want to create. And I wasn't thinking like creating a universe until I saw WebMD. I saw my disgust for them. I'm like, why the hell am I constantly seeing you? It's because you guys are playing the game the right way. More people than ever are just getting shadow banned. They're getting kicked off without any form of explanation. I think, um, I actually saw this recently. Jay Waller, he's this guy that, um, I believe he hangs out with Andrew Tate. Um, and he has a lot of content that a lot of mainstream folks will consider polarizing. But when I watched his YouTube channel, I never heard him say things that were that polarizing. I heard him talk a lot about, you know, working out, getting in shape, uh, being accountable for your life. And YouTube randomly just banned his account. I'm like, why? You know, I, I could see uh, other folks getting banned, but you just got banned. And now what's going to happen is that he has to appeal the process. And you know how annoying it is to appeal anything on the digital space? You just keep getting connected to one team after another after another. And eventually, your ticket goes into the black hole. And then what you have to do is you have to either deal with your ticket going into the black hole or you try to spark some sort of movement. You're like, guys, the only way that I could get my account back is if everyone just um, spams YouTube or Instagram or Twitter, whichever platform you got banned off. And then this, uh, this platform is like, oh yeah, uh, something must be wrong. Then they look into it. This is a process. This is not a process that gets done easily unless you you know have your crew, your followers spam them. This could take over a year to two years. So you got to be smart. You got to understand that these folks can switch up on you out of the blue moon. And when they do switch up on you, you don't want to be one of those folks that's like, um, I wasn't expecting that. 
You were expecting that. You were too busy creating your own content universe. This is where um, I think in the future, like this is just a prediction. Uh, I'm creating this on February 1st, 2024. I really do think there's only going to be two groups of people, um, successful people. It's going to be those who create universes and those who work for a universe. Uh, one example is World Wrestling Entertainment, where, you know, the the head honchos, they're really creating this universe with World Wrestling Entertainment. They have toys, they have books, they have comic books, they have uh, merchandise, all of that. And now you could build a career working in the World Wrestling Entertainment. So in the future, what's going to happen is that um, more universes are going to be created. Before, we've seen this, right? I mean, World Wrestling Entertainment, it's a universe. Walt Disney, it's a universe. Pixar, it's a universe. Um, so what's the big deal? What's up with this prediction? The prediction is that more solo folks are going to be universes. Right now, most solo folks are not universes. They're too reliant on one platform. So if you just do YouTube, you are not a universe. You are someone that is straight up reliant on one platform. If you do YouTube and Twitter, you're still not a universe. You may be like a solar system, but you are not a universe. But when you do YouTube, Twitter, podcast, uh, classes, books, now you're becoming, uh, you're going from a linear funnel to a non-linear funnel. And I know someone is becoming a universe when things are less predictable. Whenever someone's like, well, I know exactly how much money I'm going to make this month. I'm like, this guy most likely is not a universe yet. But when someone is like getting shocked a lot, like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. That's when they're becoming a universe. And there's a caveat to this where they're not always getting shocked in a good way. Every now and then they're getting shocked in a very uh, sad way. They're working so hard for so long. They're not getting any results. It actually seems like they're going backwards. That means this is a most likely a guy that is building a universe. Uh, things are becoming very complex. And with complex, eventually comes emergence. Emergence is very difficult to predict. But the more that this f person works on their content universe, the more miraculous stuff happens over time. It's w stuff like uh, what happened to WebMD, where initially they were just publishing article after article after article. Nowadays, they have an empire. You can't just take down WebMD out of the blue moon because when you try to attack them, you have no clue what to attack. Or someone who doesn't have a universe, let's say they just tweet for a living. It's like, if you want to take them down, you know exactly what to target. With WebMD, you don't. So whenever you're dealing with someone who has a universe, um, you're dealing with a person who has a lot of leverage because they themselves, they're like, I can't control this, you know? I can't control it. I have my face to this brand, but at this point, this is way beyond my control. All right, so you could try to kill me, but if you do kill me, aka the universe, tell me about it because I'm curious how you did it. They're not going to do it. So that is uh, one of the final portions of today's talk. If you enjoyed this talk, you definitely want to subscribe to me on YouTube. Uh, every single day, I drop daily content on communication skills. Um, you definitely want to check out my Twitter. On Twitter, I drop uh, little tweets on public speaking, storytelling, emotional resilience, and much more. You definitely want to check out my Amazon. Within Amazon, I have a lot of uh, paperback books, a lot of Kindles, uh, journals that help you improve your communication skills. Because let's face it, we're intertwined nowadays. You may not want to deal with anyone, but you unfortunately have to deal with people. And eventually, I get it, even if you're antisocial, that unfortunately is going to turn into fortunately if you check out the products within the Armani Talks brand. All of these products, whether it's these right here, uh, I'm pointing at one, the 101 short stories series. Uh, these, these short stories are 600, 800 words, so you have no excuse not to read. These little stories will engage your narrative mind and allow you to better communicate, write better, speak better, make better eye contact. It engages your nervous system. There are journals that will help you clarify your mind. You could do free flow journaling. You could do creative writing journaling. You could do um, gratitude journaling. Armani Talks products are all there. Go on my Amazon page. Just type in 
go on Amazon, just type in Armani Talks, then uh, go on my shop. You could even go on ArmaniTalks.com where everything that I have is all in one location. So check out the ArmaniTalks.com page. Recommend my brand to your friends. If you learned a, a thing or two about communication skills, definitely let your homies know, yo, you want to check out Armani Talks. He has some good stuff that no one else is talking about. Thank you very much for joining me and I will catch you on the next episode.